to be here in attendance for this service. It's a great privilege to be able to be a part of it. And it's a tremendous blessing to be able to stand and try to deliver the message in this meeting. And I thank the Lord for that. I appreciate the opportunity to sing in the choir. And uh, I thank God for that. And to be able to enjoy this service with you. I'm grateful for all of those that have come from truth to be a part of this meeting. And I am thankful for you coming tonight. And uh, I thought about when I was coming in this evening, um, uh, Sister Jeanette mentioned to me, she said, that you don't, you're not even old enough to remember us building this, are you? She said, what, what maybe two or three years old, I guess, whenever we built it. And uh, I think she was being nice about my age. I probably sound older tonight for some reason. I didn't, I'm not even been puny. I just, I just did like your pastor did this morning and preached too long today. And uh, I, I think last night he and I stirred one another up. I called him on the phone. I think I got him, y'all, if he, if he was a little too hard or a little bit too lengthy this morning, it was probably my fault for stirring him up so much last night. But uh, I'm thankful to be able to be here this evening and I appreciate it. My dad was talking a while ago how it's a miracle that somebody didn't get hurt and it really was. I mean that somebody didn't get uh, no talent to building projects and the jobs and whatever and he's certainly seen them on bridges and things people killed and folks mangled and crippled and whatever and I'm so grateful none of that kind of thing happened in this kind of project but a bunch of amateurs up here working like we were and trying to get things done and uh, Brother Doug talked about dropping his hammer Ain't no telling how many times I've thought that uh, since I've been a grown-up that it's a miracle that uh, Jeremy and I, neither one, grew up without a hole in our head from that hammer falling down. We were always seemed like down there, and he'd all, Jeremy, throw me my hammer up here. And uh, so all, all the time dropping his hammer. But uh, we did some work with those hammers as well, and I'm grateful for those memories and for those days. Um, my granddaddy one day thought it was, he thought it was funny while we were up here driving nails and, and working and framing and whatever. And I was 10 or 11 years old and I missed the nail more often than what I hit it. And I'd hit it a hundred times to drive a nail, you know. And Jack Fielder made me so sick. He'd come by with that big old East Wing hammer and a big 16 penny nail stuck in between his two fingers, set it up like that, tap it once and sink it. And then set another one, tap it and sink it. I mean, it just, two licks is all it took to put it all the way in, and it'd take me 15 minutes to drive a nail, and it'd aggravate the fire out of me to watch him do that. And uh, one day I was, I was trying to set him, and I'd set it, and I'd tap it, and I'd mess it, and it'd, I'd deflect off of it, hit my thumb, and I had bruised, I mean, black places up my thumb and my index finger, and this one here too, and it was on late on a Saturday evening, well after dark, and we had lights and things going, and, and uh, heaters and stuff like my dad was talking about in here, going kerosene heaters trying to keep us warm and he had picked on me about missing the nail all day he had said you know you're hitting the wrong nail you're hitting the wrong nail it got on to about it got on to about 7 o'clock that night and he hit the wrong nail and I mean he hit it hard I'm talking about busted it open and all that stuff and I thought it was so funny I mean I thought it was the funniest thing I'd ever, think, I'd ever seen I said what's the matter Papa you hit the wrong nail you hit the wrong nail he didn't think it was a bit funny I mean he gave me no grace at all for the fact They've been picking on me all day. Lots of lots of labor, lots of work, lots of people committed. 
one day they were wiring for these for this ceiling. Y'all realize there's not an attic here, don't you? I mean, you look up to what you see, and just on the other side of that's where the roof is, and uh, the wiring and so forth went on top of the went on top of the house, on top of the of the building here, and they were setting everything up for the wiring and things, and had not yet run the uh, tar paper across the roof to begin laying shingles at that time, long before there was a metal roof on this thing, and. Uh, <clears throat> My dad was up there working and he said something along the lines of bringing him such and such. And so I went and got it and come down the ladder and got it and run back up there. And he turned around and looked at me. It was about 3 or 4 o'clock that afternoon on Saturday. And he said, what in the world are you doing up here? I'm 10 years old, you know, I'm on top of the roof of the building, no big deal, you know. And uh, he said, what in the world are you doing up here? I said, I've been up here all day long. <laughs> I mean, you know, he just had noticed it. Uh, and uh, he said, you get off here, somebody going to get killed or something other. You're running around on the roof of this building. You're 10 years old. Just get down from here. And uh, so I got down from the top of the building. But uh, it was a miracle. Nobody got hurt. And I am, I am thankful for that. And I'm grateful for what the Lord has done in our lives. Now, over and over again, I remember in those days, in the days after my granddaddy at times preaching about it, and certainly around the kitchen table with some biscuits and gravy, sharing about things and uh, sharing about how this book of Nehemiah was such a interesting part of his thinking in those days and the things that inspired him and the story of these people that built their wall when they faced lots of opposition. Matter of fact, there was three guys named Tobiah, Geshem, and Sanballat who came against the Israelites. They mocked them every day. They tried to get them to quit working on the wall. They made fun of them. They said their wall would never amount to anything. They said, what you're doing is foolish and if a fox was to run up on it, it'd collapse and it'll never hold up. It'll never stay. And to start with, they said, you won't ever finish it. You won't be able to do it. You can't do it. You won't finish it. And if you do finish it, it'll fall down to the first thing that comes along against it. It will not last. You're wasting your time. And then when they saw that they were going to do it, they came out and tried to sabotage it. And even told Nehemiah, said, come down from the wall and have a conference with us. We want you to come down and have a conversation, talk with us. But Nehemiah, the hinge verse of this whole book of Nehemiah, is when Nehemiah tells them I will not come down from this wall. He said I'm doing too important of a work to come down from here and stop doing what I'm here to talk with you. When all you're here for is trouble and all you're here for is wanting to stir things up and all you're here for is to distract and destroy the work of God and I will not come down and stop working just to talk with you. And there are those who'd love to distract you from serving the Lord, from building anything for God from doing anything for God, but I tell you we're doing too important a work to stop and to listen to the gainsayers and the doubt handlers and all of those who say that we cannot make it. The devil's crowd love to destroy you. They love to distract you. They would love to derail your progress. But the best thing you can do is just keep building on the wall. And it got so serious that these people were in threat of their lives. The Bible says that they had to, while they were on the wall, work with a hammer in one hand. And to work while they had the hammer in one hand, they had a weapon in the other. And so what time they were not working, they were warring. And so it also will be, if you'll do anything at all for the Lord, there will be some opposition, there will be some come against you, there will be a battle to fight, and you must be all willing to work and to war, and not to give up. It's not for the faint of heart. And the longer I believe we go before the coming of 
of the Lord, I believe, the more serious it will become. And the more certain we will learn and find out the truth is that being a child of God and living for Jesus in these last days is not for sissies and it's not for those who are careless and those who are casual, but it's for people who are serious about loving God, serving God, and living for God. Now, I appreciate having seen the examples of people willing to sacrifice and uh, see something through and to see a job through to completion in those days. And we are reaping the rewards of that. And I do great. I do thank the Lord and, and I'm grateful to the Lord for that. Nehemiah chapter 1, if you'll look with us in your Bibles, if you found your place and are able and willing, I would invite you to stand with us and we'll reverence the reading of the Word of the Lord. Nehemiah chapter number 1 was told that your pastor told you this morning that he would be neither short nor sweet in the message and I hope to accomplish both tonight so you pray for us Nehemiah chapter number 1 verse number 1 the word of the Lord says the words of Nehemiah the son of Hakaliah sounds like that would be a real good name for a preacher doesn't Hakaliah the son of Hakaliah and it came to pass in the month of Chislu in the 20th year I was in Shushan the palace that Hannah and I, one of my brethren, came, and he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province um, are in great affliction and approach and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept, and mourned certain days, and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven, and said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant which I pray before thee now day and night for the children of Israel thy servants and confess the sins of the children of Israel which we have sinned against thee both I and my father's house have sinned we have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments nor the statutes nor the judgments which thou commandest thy servant Moses remember I beseech thee the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses saying if you trespass I will trespass transgress I will scatter you abroad among the nations and if you turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them though there were though there were of you cast out into the uttermost part of the heaven yet will I gather them from thence will bring them into the place that I have chosen to set my name there now these are they thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper. I pray thee, thy servant, this day and grant him... Mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. You can be seated tonight. 
Thank you for standing with us while we read the word of the Lord. We have set the stage in this first chapter of Nehemiah for what will happen when he goes back home and seeks to rebuild the, the city and the walls and the, and the temple and the civilization that was Jerusalem. Now 70 years they have been in Babylonian captivity and because of their own sin they had no one to blame but themselves. They had nobody else to blame this thing on but their own sin and disobedience. And time and time again preachers and pastors and the prophets had come and told them that the Lord warned them that this was coming if they didn't repent but yet they would not repent. They were told to seek the old path and ask where is the good way and walk therein and they would find rest for their souls but the Bible said they said we will not walk therein and they did not walk therein and they did not find rest and 70 years of these people were in Babylonian captivity and now this man Nehemiah is a servant in the king's house and palace in Shushan and there the king Cyrus he is serving him and he is a uh, Nehemiah is a house servant unto this man uh, in Shushan and the Bible said that he, when he asked him how things when some had come to visit he asked him how things were back at home back in Jerusalem and they told him the sad and sordid tale of how that the walls lay in ruin and how that uh, the uh, city lay in waste and the inhabitants of thereof were just as pitiful as the city itself civilization had come apart at the scenes and that there was very little left of what once had been a grand and a, uh, a, a grand and a well respected civilization and a great kingdom now lie in ruins and was the laughing stock of all the nations there round about and Nehemiah got a burden about this thing of going back home he goes back and becomes a great wall builder and at the same time there's a man named Zerubbabel who goes back and becomes the man who leaves the charge to lay again the foundation of the temple of the house of God and there's another man by the name of Ezra who is a contemporary that goes back and he's a priest and he's the one that lays the foundations of their religious civilization and brings again the, the word of God and the God's people and recognizes again the importance of God's word and he cleans house is what Ezra does and throws sin out and begins to aggressively deal with sin amongst the people of God that they might restore again their society and their civilization and begin again to serve the Lord in Jerusalem. It was a collective effort of these men and then also of those that would come back with them and labor and would work and would join together and rebuild this city again. Rebuild the walls, rebuild the gates, rebuild the society, rebuild the temple, rebuild my friend the building blocks and the integrity of their society as it was. And this man Nehemiah, I wonder when you think of him, what do you think of? A builder maybe, a worker, and certainly he was a warrior, and definitely he was a wall builder, and absolutely he was a great wall builder. But when you look at Nehemiah before he successfully led the rebuilding campaign of the walls in the eyes of man, he seems like an unlikely candidate for the job. You see, he had no preparation prior as a wall builder at all. He had no knowledge of how to build walls. He had never been to engineering school. He had never been trained in this kind of work. He had had no background in contract or construction site management. He knew nothing about fundraising or how to gather people together for such a work. He was not a city planner. Matter of fact, this man was a cupbearer. 
believe. He was a butler. He was a man who was not an outdoorsman. He was not a construction person per se. He knew nothing of the task at hand. If you'd have looked for somebody to rebuild a wall, Nehemiah wouldn't have been the place you would have started. He had no prior experience. If you'd have been accepting applications and Nehemiah had put in his application, how do you look over his qualifications? You'd have said you're the wrong candidate. We are looking for a more qualified person with a richer and deeper background of experience than what you have in this matter at hand. He had no prior preparation. He had no personality that was persuasive. He was a cupbearer, though it was a prestigious position. It demanded the temperament of servitude. He had no leadership background. How about then he knew nothing about being the man. He had always been the one who was told what to do. He knew nothing about giving orders. He knew nothing about leading people. He knew nothing about gathering people together. He knew nothing about planning and organizing an event, let alone a job or a project like this. I mean, it seems like he's the wrong person for the job. My friend, he had no prior preparation, no personality of persuasion. He had no place of convenience. He was a thousand miles away from Jerusalem. Matter of fact, the best I can tell, he's probably never been there in his whole life. He's probably likely at this point in his life a middle-aged man, 30, 40, 50 years old at the most. And yet these Israelites have been in captivity for 70 years plus. He was born very likely in captivity. It's likely that he knew nothing about Jerusalem except for what he had read and what he had been told. He didn't know what the walls had looked like before. He didn't know how they had been built before. He had no idea how they had always done things. And so he had no idea how to go about doing things. He seems like to not be a person of convenience. It was a thousand miles. He had no transportation, no tools, no timber. He had not the means or the materials to rebuild the ruined walls of the holy city. It seemed like if you wanted to rebuild these walls, you'd come up with somebody to use other than Nehemiah. But you see, when God looked at Nehemiah, God saw what human eyes could not see. And Nehemiah had the right kind of heart. Nehemiah had something down in here for the job that other people did not have. The heart is the place of God's inspection. God saw Nehemiah differently than me as he had done with David in 1 Samuel 16 and 7. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but God the Lord looketh upon the heart. The heart is the place of God's inspection. Man cannot see what's down in here. Man would have said Nehemiah's not qualified. He's not the right person in the right place with the right background or experience. But God says he's the man for the job. Because God could see what was down in here. Oh, my friend, hey, many of those who labored in this place, many of those who drove nails had did labor in this building, in this place. Had you been examining their qualifications, you'd have said there's no way. They can't do it. They, they don't have the equipment. They don't have the knowledge. They don't have the, have the right things to go about getting things done. Somebody like Ed Jordan or Jimmy Milland who seemingly could do anything and everything. 
And they were patient with all the rest of us who didn't know how to do nothing. And yet we're willing to work. It's amazing what can be accomplished when God's people come together and have the right kind of heart. I'm talking tonight about having the heart of a builder. When God inspects your heart, when the Lord looks down beneath what's on the surface, when He sees what man cannot see, and does He see in you that you have the heart of a builder? Do you have a heart of someone to build and not tear down? To lift up and not to rip down? And my friend, to raise up and not to root up. Amen. The heart is a place of God's inspection. I want to say as surely as the heart is a place of God's inspection, the heart is the place of the believer's inspiration. What inspires us is that thing that's down in here. What keeps us going is this down in here. What causes us to rise up and continue on and to keep serving God when we don't want to is this thing that is down in here, the drive that comes from down inside the heart. You see, David said, I will arise early. I'll get that harp and I'll play on it. He said, I'll sing with my voice. I'll sing amongst the people and I'll sing in the congregation. And that Psalm 108, you know why he said he'd do that? And verse number one, he said, oh God, my heart is fixed. And so I'll sing with my glory. You know why the believer's inspired? You know why we're stirred? You know why we come to church? You know why we serve God? You know why we pray? You know why we sing? You know why we preach? You know why we work? You know why we labor? Because God's done something in our hearts. He's done my friend performed heart surgery. He's given me heart medicine. He keeps my heart in shape. And that's what keeps me going because of what God's done in my heart. Proverbs 4 and 23, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And Lester Roloff said in his great message, Dr. Law and Dr. Grace, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And it's true, and I'm preaching tonight on having the heart of a builder. And now you've got a wonderful facility, and we are enjoying that. Because somebody had the heart of a builder. I appreciate all the labor that my granddaddy put in. And the wearing out vehicles and wearing out his body. And he did it at a time when his body was already worn out. How many of you that are old enough to remember? Remember the days of him laying in the hospital bed on the side of the church building over here. And the little old building next to us. And they laying in that bed through the song service. And they crawl up out of the bed with the help of others. And stand in the pulpit to preach. And it was after those days of having to learn to walk again. How that we began to work and to labor to make this place possible. How the day and night constantly. How the doctor saying, now listen, Mr. Powers, you're never going to be the man you once were. How you're never going to be able to do what you once did. But he did things he had never done because he had the heart of a builder. Amen. That's exactly right. And I did things that was illegal to try to help him. Driving a little 81 Dodson pickup truck. How when I wasn't even old enough to be in middle school, let alone have a driver's license, because he couldn't turn his head left and right to get him down the road so he could work and labor and raise funds and make something possible for us to enjoy. And you realize that it's not because of the outward man. In the outward man, he was a feeble man. In the outward man, he was not nearly as strong as he once was. But down on the inside, where God could see, there was the heart of a builder. And there was the heart of a man that 
That's exactly right. Amen. And so I'm preaching about the heart of a builder. There's a whole other message on the mind of work. But I'm preaching on the heart of a builder. And those are the two things they had, by the way, in Nehemiah. The heart of a builder and the mind of work. And so, my friend, they had a heart to build. And notice this evening, I'm going to give you three quick things. And a few things about those things and then I'll quit. I want to say this evening, the condition of the heart should be noted. The condition of the heart. You realize why many folks do not build. The reason why many folks do not construct. The reason why many folks do not labor. That's because they suffer from a weak heart. Amen. They've got a heart problems while they don't do it. How many of those that could have been here early on Saturday mornings? And they could have driven nails and could have toted lumber. And could have served them out in the choose to get up on Sunday to come to church. They don't even have the heart to show up. My friend, they want to use the church. They want to abuse the church. They want to ride the church's coattail. They want somebody to help pay their light bill and their phone bill. And my friend, to bury the dead and marry the youngest. And they expect to use a fellowship hall every time they have a birthday. And they think everything ought to be free. That they wouldn't give a nickel to watch an ant eat a bell of hay. And my friend, they're too lazy to do anything at the house of God. They've got heart problems, amen. And they don't care. They're not concerned. They don't have a heart for God. There are some that are near, and yet they have no heart at all. May I ask you something? Why didn't somebody who lived in Jerusalem build these walls? Why didn't somebody who lived in that town? I'm talking about somebody who lived in that town. Why didn't they stand up and say, hey, fellas, I'm tired of standing around here for the last 70 years looking at this garbage laying all over this town. Has somebody get up and let's start picking this trash up. Has straightening this place out and, and making it look good for God's honor and glory again. But instead, God had to go all the way to Shushan and take a butler out of the king's house and send him a thousand miles to build these walls because people close to the situation who could have done something about it chose not to do anything about it because they just didn't have the heart for it. What I'm asking you tonight is do you have the heart for it? Do you have the heart of a builder? Oh, my heart can become cold and so can yours. And sometimes standing next to the rubble of a broken down city and standing next to the garbage and the, and the dung hills that are left when the devil brings about things in our lives and we'll get cold and discouraged and my friend get our heads hanging down and things we can't think we cannot do anything how would it do us well tonight if we lift up our heads and my friend get a revival in our lives and once again get busy and get a heart to build something for God Amen. It would do well if everybody at Truth Baptist Church, if everybody at Pine Ridge Baptist Church, I would say to themselves, somebody has helped and had a heart to build the building. Now I'll have the heart to get out and build a church to put in it, to build a congregation. Amen. To invite somebody, to pray for somebody, and to ask somebody to come to talk to my neighbors that are lost and bring them in that the house might be filled. Amen. That's exactly right. We spend our efforts as preachers and pastors and deacons just trying to get the folks who already say they're committed to the church and who say they're members of the church just to show up at the church they're members of and my friend participate. And it 
just going to make an effort at being short and sweet. And I've got some work left to do tonight. Amen. The heart can become cold. The heart can become crusted over. The heart can become callous. The heart can become corrupted. There are those who will tear down instead of building up because they've got corruption in their heart. They're too busy wanting to be in charge. They're what they are wanting to be a part. Amen. I thought to myself, I have the fancy folks call it a soliloquy. All the rest of 
myself, I am doing it for the Lord. And then I said to myself, well, if you're doing it for the Lord, it does not matter what those people think about you. And it does not matter how well or poorly they receive the message. All that matters is that you're doing it for Him. Now you're going to crank that Buick up and to drive two hours for them and to preach for them. Are you going to fire it up and drive two hours and preach for Him and to do it for Him? And to look back again and answer myself and say, I'm going to do it for Him. (laughs) And if you'll stop doing what you do for them and start doing it for Him, then it won't matter near as much to you when they don't like it. Monday night. And Wednesday night wasn't easy, but it was easier than it was Monday and Tuesday night. And every night got a little easier. And I was almost glad to go by the time Friday night got there. Amen. Made it easier on me and on them. Amen. Oh, may God help us. Oh, tonight, how about your heart? Do you desire to do these things for God? The condition of your heart. And to them, think about the correction of your heart. Tonight, if your heart's not as a Nehemiah's here, if you don't have a heart for God and His work and His labor and His house and His service and His name, I think there's some things that need to be corrected. How are you going to correct that? Tonight, you need to realize your condition until you understand and admit that you have heart trouble. You're never going to get help. If you're going to get any help for your heart, you've got to realize you've got a heart problem. Amen. The truth is we all need the attention of the divine cardiologist in our lives. But I'll tell you, if you need it tonight, God knows how to get you some heart medicine. Amen. That's exactly right. Realize your condition. Hear me tonight. If you realize you've got a heart condition, then you need to respond to His conviction. When God shows you you're wrong, when God shows you you need help, when God shows you your heart's hard, when God shows you you're not right with Him, when God Do not push him away. Don't justify the place where you stand and how you live. Don't respond to conviction when it draws you the cords of a man in bands of love. Do not ignore him. And then thirdly tonight, whenever he deals with your heart and corrects your heart, repent of your sin. Repent of your heart problems. Repent for correction. I realize your condition. I respond to conviction. Repent for correction. Jesus said in Luke 13 and 3, 13 and 5, Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. The Laodicean church in Revelation 3 had heart problems. Their heart was neither hot nor cold. But they were lukewarm.
Do you remember a time in your life when you used to have a heart for serving God, but now do you have that same heart? Do you still love to get up and come to church like you used to? Do you still love to tell somebody what Jesus did for you the day He saved your soul? Do you still care when the orphan plate comes by that you're able somehow to contribute to the work of God and the service of the Lord? Does it matter to you? How does your heart break when you consider that your family's dying lost and that the mouth of hell is enlarging itself every day? Does your heart burn within you when you consider how He did it all? Went all the way to Calvary because He loved me. Oh, my friend, does your heart swell whenever you hear the songs of Zion and to sing the songs that we've sung tonight? Has there something down on the inside? Brother Jesse Natrum came to our church. He's a missionary now in St. Lucia. When he first made his first trip to our church, he was a missionary's kid. But he had been kicked out of the country where he was in. He'd lost his visa. Had the 60 days, may have been 90 days here in the States, that he could stay here before he had to find a place to stay, a place to live. I mean, he was a man literally without a country. And he and his family came by through. Brother Scott knows and knows what I'm talking about. The folks in our church do. Brother Jesse and Sister Adeline, and they got two or three boys. Had a beautiful family and a sweet family. And I love him. He's been a blessing to me. Came to our church in a missions meeting. And he said, hey, listen, the first service he got in, it blew apart. I mean, the roof come off. Had to come off during the first song. We started singing the first song. And it was like a bomb went off. Like you suck a, a stick of dynamite in the middle of that church and set it off. I mean, first song. And folks are shouting and running around. Cliff Sean was there that night. He got the sound. I had the first song run out the back door. I went to South and run up Highway 78. About 15 minutes later, we'd done some four or five songs. He'd come back in the back door, still a preacher. Had made it to the top of the hill and back. Our brother Jesse left. Nathan said I had grown up in churches. And he said we were told not to say amen, not to say hallelujah, not to raise our hands, not to rejoice, not to worship openly and outwardly. He said we were told that's what the charismatics do. How we're Baptists. We're not charismatic. And we cannot do such a way. It's inappropriate and we shouldn't. But he said, I'd sit there on the pew and think, wouldn't that sing Amazing Grace? Oh, how. I'd love to just stand up and shout hallelujah. And he said, the preacher tell about how Jesus went to Calvary. And I'd sit on the pew, tears welling up in my eyes. And he'd say, I'd want to stand up and wave my hands. And say, that's my Savior and my Lord.
the heart of a builder. Then I want to tell you, not only did we see the need for the condition of the heart and the correction of the heart, but I'm finishing with the characteristics of Nehemiah's heart. You realize that Nehemiah had a builder's heart because he had a burdened heart. We see his request in verses 1 through 3, whenever he hears about what's going on back at home. And he asks him, he says, tell me about what's happening. And Nehemiah had never been there, but he cared. He said, tell me about what's happening back at home. Tell me what's about what's going on at the church. I've been, it's not, I, I have not been laying out a church cause. I didn't want to be there. It's because I've been a captive in a faraway land. I couldn't be there. Oh, but just because I couldn't be there didn't mean that I've lost my desire. It did not mean that I've lost my heart for it. It didn't mean that I don't care anymore. Oh, he had a burdened heart. I remember when Dad had his back surgery, the last one, the ugly one, you know. The one that gave him such trouble and so bad. And he knew it would be that way before he had the work done, but it had to be done. And so my friend, he spent so long without being able to go to church. And then whenever he was able to come to church, he I wasn't always able to stay long enough to stay for Sunday school and church. And then that first Sunday, he got to come back to Sunday school. And he called me up and he said, do you want to believe it? But I got to go to Sunday school Sunday. I said, you mean to tell me? After all this time of being out, you hadn't just got out of the habit of it. You hadn't just lost the desire of it. Of course, I was being facetious. And he wept like a baby. And he said, absolutely not. He said, I'm more excited than a little boy on Christmas morning. Do you weep for sinners you don't even 
I find it remarkable that Nehemiah prayed for these people and wept over them and he had never even seen them. I wonder when's the last time you wept and prayed over somebody you've never even seen. Amen. Amen. This is a recognition of a building, not necessarily a missions meeting. But I want to say while we're here, a missionary effort requires some things out of us. While we are talking about building a building, we ought to be thinking now in our lives we've got a building constructed. Now we need to be building a congregation for it. Amen. A missionary effort requires manpower. Somebody has to go. Will it be you? A missionary effort requires money power. Somebody has to give. Will it be you? A missionary effort requires money power. Somebody's got to get a hold of God. Will it be you? We'll not do it until we get broken. Then I'm finishing with this. The characteristics of Nehemiah's heart is such. That he has the heart of a builder because he's got a beseeching heart. Notice his reaction in verses 5 through 11. He begins to get on his face and pray. He went to God with the problem. He acknowledged his personal sins. Lord, I'm nobody to do anything about this. Matter of fact, I'm the biggest failure you've got. I've sinned and my fathers have sinned and my people have sinned and we failed you. If we don't acknowledge that, we'll never get anywhere with God. Ain't no use in any of us coming down to the altar tonight and beating our chest like Tarzan and screaming and saying, God, you'd be getting a good deal if you got somebody like me. We might as well admit tonight that we're about the pitifulest material He could work with. But if you got a heart for it, God can work with you. Amen. Let to God acknowledge His personal sins, the national sins, and the righteousness of God to judge them. Lord, you are right to do to us what you've done. We're not filing any complaints. I'm just telling you, I'm ready to build back again if you'd let me. He appealed to the Lord's mercy. It's a fixed fight. Before they ever went into captivity, He told them it's coming back out. Amen. Amen. They're already on the winning side, though it seemed like everything around them was lost. Nehemiah proved and stated that he was more than a servant of the king. He was a servant of the Lord. Amen. Yes. God gave him a place to lead because he had the heart of a builder. I'm finishing up. I told you I'd try to be short and sweet and I've tried. While families, homes, our nation, our churches and centers are in trouble in this generation, God is looking for people with the heart of a builder. We've got enough tearing down going on. We need somebody that will build. But before you'll be a brave builder like Nehemiah with a hammer in one hand and a sword in the other, you'll have to be a sincere servant. A heart to serve God. A heart to live for God. When God looks past your exterior where others may be impressed, you may be strong as a bull on the outside. But when God looks past the shell of who you are on the outward man and sees the inspected place of the heart, I wonder, is he completely underwhelmed and unimpressed? When he sees who you really are, does God see the heart of a builder? Or does he see a selfish person who says, It's my life, I live it like I want to, and I don't care what nobody thinks about it. The people had a mind to work. 
And Nehemiah had a heart to build. There's a man in the New Testament, I can't preach on him, I've already preached on Nehemiah. There's a man in the New Testament whose name is Joseph. Anybody remember Joseph? Joseph is in the book of Acts. And some of you think you don't know anything about him, but you do. You just don't know his name. His name is Joseph. But he was such an encouragement. He was such a blessing. That every time the disciples saw him coming, they said, look yonder, here comes Barnabas. The name Barnabas means an encourager. It means to be a blessing. And every time they saw Joseph coming, they said, look yonder, ain't that man a blessing? Isn't he an encourager? Don't we just love him? They loved him so much, he was such a blessing. They quit calling him by his name and started calling him a blessing. And started calling him an encouragement. Somebody, tonight God's put it on your heart to be a builder. I preach what God's put on my heart. Now, I hadn't just preached at Pine Ridge Baptist Church tonight either. My folks, I would to God you listening to what I preach tonight. Get a heart of a builder. I get so tired of hearing stuff about what person says this is or is not going their way at church. Pitiful. We get our hearts in the right place. It won't be about our way. It won't be about us. It'll be about the Lord. I wonder, do you have the heart of a builder tonight? Sing for us whenever you're ready. Do you have the heart of a builder? Do you need to pray this evening as God pressed on your heart? It's you. Would you be a builder? Would you be a Barnabas? Would you seek to be a blessing to somebody?